Fresh Art International presents Art Talk, conversations about creativity in the 21st century. I'm Kathy Bird, Fresh Art producer, and today I'm speaking with Danny Simmons, who's based in Brooklyn, New York. I consider Danny a Renaissance man in the strongest sense because he is not only a painter, a poet, a novelist, and a philanthropist, but he's very engaged in an activist sense in the contemporary art world. And today I thought of posing a few thought questions to Danny, and here they are. Danny, how did you move from envisioning to actualizing your creative life? I grew up in a very creative household. My father was a writer and my mother was a painter, although they both had regular day jobs. Uh, I was around a lot of creative process all the time. And so I always knew I wanted to be a creative person, although my family geared me towards uh, having a nine-to-five job. So I went to did the right thing. So I went to college, I went to graduate school. And promptly after graduate school, I decided that I didn't want to work for a, a living in that manner anymore. And my mother said something that was extremely encouraging to me. She said, go ahead and quit. Nobody will let you off. I was a social worker at the time and trying to paint a little bit after work and stuff like that. And I wanted to try to paint full time. And she said, go ahead and quit your job. Nobody will let you stop. It was made a little easier, but I had a brownstone at the time and the, the mortgage was covered by the rent for my tenants. But, you know, uh, the way I started actually creating organizations and creating a career out of it was, you know, I went down to Soho at the time and tried to get my artwork shown and was uh, unsuccessful. So I decided that I would create my own venue to show not only my own work, but the work of other people who were having a hard time. And at the time, uh, it was mostly artists of color weren't being represented very much in the galleries in Soho. There was a a few being shown and a few of the old masters, but young contemporary artists weren't uh, not being shown. So I started uh, giving art shows and it started blossoming from there. And I think mostly what happens when you start in a direction, things present themselves, opportunities present themselves, and, and you either take advantage of them or you didn't. I started giving my first art show in my brother's, uh, he was starting a, his business, uh, Def Jam Records, and he had an office in, in uh, on the Lower East Side on Farrick Street, and I, uh, no, it was on Elizabeth Street at the time. And I asked him, could I use your office? And I gave an art show for me and a sculptor who's now in Berlin named Howard McCaleb. And that was successful, and then I gave a show to five other people, and I did it at Russell's new offices, which was the first offices of Def Jam. And I started giving an annual Def Jam art show and doing shows in between. And eventually, I gutted the ground floor of my brownstone and turned it into my first actual art gallery, the Sanctuary Art Gallery. And, and where was that situated? In? So my first real gallery was in Stuyvesant Heights, Bedford-Stuyvesant on Macon Street. And I gave shows there for about two years. And then I hooked up with some people. Uh, this guy's father had a gallery and his father was moving to Soho from Tribeca. And so we took over the Tribeca Gallery and we named it Annexed. And we started giving art shows there. And I came up with the concept uh, of, of uh, multi-dimensional art shows, which meant not only would there be an art show, but there'd be a poetry reading, there would be new fashion designers were coming out, we'd have fashion shows, we'd show new films. So every weekend we would do something different. Uh, and part of that was to bring um, more people into the gallery to see the art, 
which was my, you know, the, the visual, which is my primary focus. But there was so much creative talent and so much creative energy out there at the time that was not being showcased that since I had a space, why not use it for, for everything? And we started having shows with four and five and 600 people would show up because there was such a need and such a desire for people to see this. And we really started building what I considered to be the forerunner of, of, uh, of uh, art community uh, that's still pretty homogeneous today. And it started at the gallery Annex. Annex closed because we didn't make any money. We sold maybe in a year and a half, maybe four pieces of artwork. Oh my. <laughs> but we, we generated so much great audience and, and a great movement. And so from there, I started Rush Philanthropic Arts Foundation because I knew that I wasn't an art dealer. My heart was never going to be a, a dealer. My heart was being an artist and being a presenter of other artists. And so I started my nonprofit uh uh, and my foundation, Rush Philanthropic Arts Foundation, with the idea of being able to get a space and to uh, also, there was a lot of talk at the time about the cuts in arts, about uh, cuts in arts in schools. And so we wanted to have art training and art, you know, use artists to train kids in the arts. And we also wanted to showcase artists who weren't being represented by mainstream galleries. And so, so what year are we now in this we're, we're phase? That's 15 years ago. Traffic. 15 years ago. So I would guess 95, you know, something like that. Uh, I started 95, 96. I, I started Rush Philanthropic Arts Foundation. And... Um, we did our first fundraiser and raised a quarter of a million dollars, and uh, we've been doing stuff. Our last fundraiser, we raised two million dollars. So, uh, and it all goes back into the galleries and into the children's arts programs. And uh, it's me and my brothers, uh, Russell, joined in my vision. And it's always good to have a music mogul on your side. Okay. And, uh, and also, my brother Run performed uh, with Run DMC, one of their last performances together at our fundraiser, along with Eartha Kitt. And, you know, and we've just been building from there. And uh, we've been having a good time uh, being responsive and responsible to the arts community and responsible to our children. That's excellent. What are you engaged in every day? How does your oh life express itself in a given day? I, I try, I don't paint every day, but I try to paint several times a week. Uh, I'm working on a number of projects. I just I just published a, a new poetry book that, that was born out of texting. So the book is deep in your best reflections, poems in 160 characters, and most of the poems are the size of one text screen. Uh, so I've been promoting that. I wrote a book, uh, my first novel in the... Um, uh, about it was published about eight years ago, and it's been on a journey to become a motion picture ever since. Uh, it, it's had a life as a hardcover novel published by Simon Schuster, then a, then a, a soft cover published by Simon Schuster. Then I resold it in, in a coup at, back to Simon Schuster again as a uh, graphic novel. And so it came out uh, and was retitled 85. So we did a graphic novel of that, all with the project trajectory in mind of trying to make a film. So recently I, I, I engaged a really great film uh, writer and we have a script and we've just gotten a sort of offbeat, uh, well-known director to come in. His name is James Toback. Uh, he's gonna direct it and- What will it be called? 
Uh, Three Days as the Crow Flies is the same as the novel. Okay. Uh, unless somebody who buys it wants to change the name. Uh, so we're actively now casting it, and we're looking for backers. And we have a lawyer who's on board, and we have Russell's going to help executive produce it. And we're looking at some other people to help executive produce it, uh, some people from Hollywood side of things. Uh, and it's, it's not a big budget film. It's a five to ten million dollar film, and I and I see getting that pretty much set up and ready to go in 2012. So that's part of my daily routine. I get a lot of requests to look at art, so I look at a lot of people's art all the time. I engage with people on their projects. People engage with me on my projects. So I usually have four or five appointments a day around the arts. Uh, today I have one with the casting director at four o'clock for, um, for three days to help finish casting it. We have it out to uh, most deaf for the lead. And uh, right after this, I'm meeting with an artist who's gonna be showing at Rush, my gallery in Chelsea. Uh, and he's gonna be bringing to show me the work that he's gonna do. So I have that. Uh, in between that, I'm probably gonna get on the internet and respond to a million emails. So I'm gonna try to get an hour of comic book reading in between the one o'clock and the three o'clock. Reading, because you yes. do collect comics. I, I collect comics. I collect two levels of comics. I collect comics that come out every week. Uh, and so I'm in the comic book store every Wednesday when comic books come out. And I also collect vintage comic books. One of my more recent purchases is the first comic ever produced, um, written, uh, and published by a black person in 1943 uh, called All Negro Comics Number no. 1. And it's a very, very, very rare comic. And I've been focusing on underground comics because R. Crumb, as you can see, or you yes. can't see since we're not podcasting, I have one of his t-shirts on. And R. Crumb is one of my favorite artists and, 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 and humorists and comic book people. So I have, uh, I've been collecting a number of R. Crumb first. And, and I've been collecting rare books too. I just got a, a copy of uh, Oliver Twist, the first edition copy of Oliver Twist. Charles Dickens, so... Uh, what leads you in your decisions about your collection? I mean, is there... The, it sounds like you're you're very eclectic in your taste. <laughs> well, yeah, I collect the toys, comic, book. comic books, toys, you know, comic-related toys. So I, I spent last year collecting rare books. Uh, I got Naked Lunch, the first edition of Naked Lunch. I'm collecting photography right now. Uh, I've been collecting photography, but I have a renewed... Uh, interest in photography, I just curated a show called Naked Black Girls. Years ago, I was collecting nude photography, and it was from more uh, recognized and older and venerable photographers. And curating that show, I met a lot of younger photographers, and I decided that I need to bolster my collection with uh, work from those. So I have uh, been collecting. I just got a really, really wonderful piece from uh, Deanna Lawson, who just had a show at MoMA, and she was in Naked Black Girls. I got a huge phot uh, photograph from Micheline Thomas, and a number of other young photographers uh, whose work is just really cutting edge, and they're looking at, at the classic nude in new ways and reinterpreting uh, the female body. And one of them uh, that's in my show, Russell, Fre uh, Russell Fredericks, uh, did this wonderful, beautiful, sensitive nude of this woman who was an amputee. And a lot of times I trade my work for artwork. Um, so I've built a lot of my collection um, on, on trades with other artists. What do you think is the most essential or core 
element of your your evolution as as a creative person like you keep growing you find well, new ways to express yourself and what what drives that uh, you know I like to talk about the need to connect with spirit I think that being creative and, and, and making art is a direct connection to spirit that you are fulfilling a spiritual mission when you're doing that and so it's sort of like going to church for me actually when I'm painting I'm in communion not only with myself and my thoughts but mostly with with impulses and feelings and emotions that come from someplace outside of me uh, the philosophy that drives you in general in terms of your activism I'm really interested in that there's not so much of a philosophy that drives activism. It's it's a continuing need by artists to be able to represent themselves and represent their interests in a way that's responded to by people who are making decisions about where art goes, who how it gets paid for, all of that. I think that the artist community, and especially here in Brooklyn, it's so large that right now I'm on this thing that it's a voting block. And I've recently hosted a town hall meeting with a politician who's running for national office, uh, running for Congress, and said, listen, if you want my endorsement, you're going to have to be responsible and responsive to the needs of artists. And so I, and I, and we want to hear your, your, your thoughts on housing and studio space and funding and and all these things, and I, I pushed him into doing a town hall meeting, and he's including in his uh, his national agenda to represent the arts in Congress. So uh, I think that need uh, for the arts community um, is a driving force, you know, behind my activism. You know, I grew up, my father not only was a writer, but he was a civil rights activist, and I grew up in a household that made sure that we knew that we needed to be responsible to the needs of others. Uh, and you see it very much in Russell's philanthropy on a nationwide scale and the things that he backs and the things that he does. Uh, and you see it uh, in me with what I do. Um, it came out of growing up in a household that taught us to be socially responsible. So what would you say to artists that and creatives that are going to be listening to this podcast about the importance of engagement. I, I think that for yourself and for your art practice, it's really important to think on a larger scale than just your own career, to think about the needs of the field as a whole, to need to think about, you know, if you need something, probably somebody else needs something, and it's just as easy to advocate for yourself as it is to advocate for other people and yourself. And it's so much more rewarding to when you are able to do both that not only does your career advance, but you're able to do something for somebody else, their career advances. And, and the whole field of art advances when we're looking out for each other. So I think that, you know, your own art practice is always very, very important, but also the, the field of, of the arts is an important thing to, uh, and the field of humanity, not just the arts. I have chosen arts as my uh, as my avatar, but it's really a fight for leveling the playing field for human beings in whatever endeavors they're in. Brilliant. 
Thank you for spending time with me today. I look forward to seeing your movie. Yeah, I look forward to seeing it too. <laughs>